and welcome to another episode of PR360, and I'm your host, Brett Deister, and if you could please join or subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, leave a review, it always helps with the rankings, and we just I also like to know what you think about it. But our guest today is Frank Bouch, and he is a PR professional that's worked with high-tech software, big data, healthcare, government, education, some things you love, some things you actually hate. I mean, healthcare and government's never a fun thing to talk about. Education nowadays is also one of those things that you just don't want to talk about. You're like, distant learning is just not my thing right now. But he's a great guest to have. He's also worked in San Francisco with Envoy, but COVID always hits us every once in a while, but he landed on his feet with with Tonkin being the director of communications there as well. But he's also represented Adobe, HP. So he's got a huge amount of experience. So welcome to this show, Frank. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. As always, we always love to have interesting guests. But my first question to all my guests is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? Ooh, neither, actually. I'm fully powered by apple juice and Gatorade. I just had a kid recently, and I figure if I didn't need to start drinking coffee now, I probably never will. So I'm officially a non-coffee drinker. Yeah, better than me. I have a new puppy, and I'm still drinking that coffee. <laughs> but can you explain a little bit about where you work and what it's all about? Yeah, so, so Tonkin is, we like to describe it as the operating system for business operations. We talk about our adaptive business operations is what we provide. And so what does that mean? Business operations, is essentially the, the combination of where people meets processes, meets systems and how they all interact, right? How do you find out that you're assigned to do a project or what if you can't do it and you need to ask somebody else? How do you notify people when you're done? And, and how is it determined that you do it versus someone else on your team? Adding new applications, right? So that process is really hard. People don't want to learn new behaviors. So to have like a dozen or more siloed apps within someone's workflow is is tough. And so what we're doing is we're providing process automation, um, but specifically in a way that's UI agnostic, right? So we're kind of the secret sauce behind the scenes that identifies how to respond to a request, how to channel it to the right person, chasing down your colleagues for follow-ups, pestering them for signatures, things like that. And Tonkin talks to you in whatever tool you're already working in, like Slack or Microsoft Teams, so that you don't need to learn a new app at all. It, it comes to you for the communication. Mm, yes. Well, I don't really need to know who needs to get it done because it's just me. So it's always on me to get it done. But I can actually see how companies, especially in the PR field, need those NDA signs you need to make sure everything's is tip-top shape for, let's say, press releases. So how does that work in the flow of PR with getting like press releases or influencer contracts or anything like that? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll give you an example from earlier in my PR career when I was at Edelman, which is one of the biggest PR firms out there. I, I think your listeners will probably sympathize with this. What we wanted to do is something that a lot of people in PR always need to do, which is creating a better reporter database. We saw some major shortcomings with the software out there and ways that we couldn't track individualized notes or we couldn't 
share them across the team or customize them in a way that made sense for like what our team specifically wanted to say about the reporters we were reaching out to. So we decided to try to build it ourselves. But the problem with that is as soon as you start building a really complex database like that, you run into issues, right? What should the system do with a reporter who changes outlets? What should it do with a freelancer who writes for five different publications? How should we indicate that a reporter retired or stopped writing and, and there was no reason to reach out for them because they haven't written anything in six months? So in that case, when I was working on this database five or so years ago, it kind of turned the whole project into a messy nightmare, right? There were a bunch of exceptions to the rule and, and our database couldn't handle those exceptions, right? And so it was definitely better than a loose Excel spreadsheet with notes. It was better than that, but it couldn't provide a reliable answer to every question that someone had about a different reporter. And so it couldn't be a single source of truth. And so everyone became frustrated and no one really like used it. So that's the type of project that Tonkin really excels at, right? When there are exceptions to the rule and you need a quick fix. So the first thing that Tonkin would do is, is bring a human into the loop on that and not just break the automation, right? The second step would be they'd make it easy with no code involved to create a new part of that process and say, oh, if this person hasn't written anything in nine months, let's mark them as an inactive reporter. Or, or if, they, if they appear as an author in a new outlet that you weren't expecting, right? Maybe it'll send you a Slack message or an email that says, hey, we noticed this person who you have marked as a TechCrunch reporter just wrote for the next web should we declare them as a new member of that outlet and allows you to get that notification and respond yes or no and change the process. So that, that's kind of a, a, a potential workflow that could work for PR teams. No, yeah, I could see that because I remember working for some gaming actual companies, like peripheral gaming companies, and like finding mm-hmm. people was always the hardest part. And if they're still there, are they not? Is this the right person to contact? Is this not the right person to contact? So that always became a headache. It's like, am I doing this right or am I doing this wrong? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that's just an example of how it works for PR use cases. But one of the challenges we faced is there's potential use cases and operations for finance ops, legal operations, customer support, customer service. And there's all of these operational problems that people are trying to deal with today. Yeah. And what has been some of good PR strategies or more effective PR strategies what has been good strategies for Tonkin? I would say my strategy, having worked for several straight small startups, this one at the Series A level, others at the Series B level, has been to think about the ways that we can really focus on that very initial stage of awareness. We still give it a shot to get those big home run stories in the big outlets, certainly. But even if you know you have a game-changing technology, you can't really skip steps. You have to focus on the, the things that are going to get you there. And I think we've had success with podcasts. We've focused on our CEO's social media strategy to encourage him to you know, say provocative things that might get people thinking about, about what they need um, in, in operations. And interestingly enough, I mean, since we sell mostly to enterprises, we've had some success initially with analyst relations too. So I think it's just about not closing yourself off to any aspect of communications that might work, especially at a smaller stage. Mm, Yes. I mean, that's kind of the thing for PR because you can be disruptive technology, but if nobody knows about you, then is it really disruptive? 
Exactly. Right. You have to find ways to get your name out there initially, right? That could be contributed articles. It could be awards to just get some early recognition for the company. You lay the groundwork and then people uh, start to have just barely heard of the name and, and associate it with some positive messages. And then you can really start to scale. And what have actually been some surprising feedback from your customers? Yeah, we've had a lot of success with big enterprises, like I said, who you know have those really complex processes, and, and that's most of our customer base. But Tonkin can also be really helpful for a company that's just getting going sometimes. During COVID, we worked with a nonprofit called Shopping Angels. And what they're all about, they started in, I think, February or March of this year, realizing that COVID was going to be a big problem. And what they do is they identify volunteers to bring people groceries who are afraid to leave their house or just can't for medical reasons. And so a company like that, they get requests coming in from people all over the country, right? So the problem that they had to face was, how do you identify the closest volunteer so that we're not emailing 50 people to say, hey, are you willing to go bring this person their groceries every time? They needed some automation. We have determined that Dave is the closest person to Marsha's house, and therefore he's going to get that request first. And if Dave doesn't respond within 12 hours, then we're going to send it on to the next person. And so Tonkin provided that system for them of quickly being able to determine who it was that was best qualified to be the volunteer for that specific person. So it all kind of runs smoothly and they can focus on bigger problems. And in fact, we were inspired by that story and we're trying to work more with nonprofits now. And we're doing a, a big hackathon for nonprofits in December that I'm really excited about called Changemakers. Mm-hmm. And what does make you different from, let's say, Monday.com, which we actually had a, someone as a guest from? What makes you different from them? Because it seems like there is some cohesiveness between your two programs. You seem similar, but still, what does make you different? Yeah, it's a great question. So I love the Monday.com and, and all the you know players in that space. I would describe what they do as task management. So they're like a collaborative to-do list, right? So if their two-word phrase is task management, then you have to change each of those words to process automation to describe what we do. So instead of task management, some companies do task automation, right? which is just about automating a singular task. And Monday.com and, and their competitors have hints of task automation, right? Like if you click to see that you've completed a task, it'll move it into a different column or something like that. Um, So there's more complicated task automation than that and and RPA bots and things like that. But Tonkin takes it one step beyond that even from task automation to process automation. So this is really about like when a customer service complaint comes in, which one of the service reps responds to it, determining that automatically and what happens if We haven't created a business rule already to explain how to respond to that person's requests, right? Enabling the whole process to flow instead of just automating specific tasks. So basically a whole bunch of automation. You don't actually have to do much on the back end, it seems like, is differentiating between Monday.com. So basically more AI and smart tech actually going, oh, look, you don't have to do this. We'll do it for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you never log into monday.com, right, then it's a a pointless tool, right? It requires you to manually do that updating. So what process automation is all about is we want to 
get you as far as you can into that process with automation, but then also very critically keep the humans in the loop, right? I think where a lot of automation falls short is it is very rigid and says, okay, whenever an email comes in, we'll do exactly this. And if we don't know what to do, then the process breaks. Um, but Tonkin, in that case, will say, we don't know exactly what to do, so we're going to direct it to a human who then has the ability to to tweak that process with without having any coding involved. So, yeah, it's basically a way to make sure you get through the last mile of all of those problems as well. Gotcha. And what PR strategies have been effective of bringing awareness to your customers or potential customers that you actually may have? Yeah, I mean, I guess we touched on that a little bit with talking about the podcast and, and our social media strategy. I think I'll go a layer deeper to that to say that we have started to talk about the story of people who don't want change management, or I should say people who don't want change, people who can't bear the thought of downloading even one more app and adding it into their workflow. Um, I think people are really resonating with that concept and we've used that in some of our thought leadership and our proactive PR pitching to get it into the stories and induce interviews. People really are starting to realize that we can't, that it's not a sustainable future to have 16 different apps and actually be required to use all of them. So the concept of what we're doing that's more of an app that in the background and helps connect different systems together so that you don't have to and and that it comes to the places that you like to play i think people are attracted to that Mm, you just hit my gamer side where we have to download all these different types of digital stores to go buy different types of games so i understand on the other side but yeah even different productivity apps like there's a ton of them it's hard to keep track of all of them and what better way than saying hey we're not going to do that we're not going to make you do all this stuff. Exactly. And, and and you might love one specific productivity app and you might find that someone else that you work with wants a different one and you shouldn't necessarily be required to use the same one, right? But if you can all agree on using email or if you can all agree on using Slack or Microsoft Teams, something like that, um, then you each uh, uh, can communicate that way. And even if you like Slack and they like Microsoft Teams, you know, you have a service in the background that might help you um, uh, connect those processes together. Mm-hmm. And what PR strategy do you think is going to go away in 2021? One that you just do not like at all. <laughs> Which one do you think is going to go away? Really good question. I'll say two things that I'm thinking about right now. One is, especially at startups of our size, product launches in the world of agile development. I think it's an interesting question to think about what the product launch looks like in the next couple of years. You know, most journalists weren't covering product launches anyways in recent memory. So, but there's certainly still value to getting in front of customers and saying, hey, there's this new exciting product. So if journalists aren't covering the news and agile development means each improvement is very small, I think it's an interesting thing to think of. What are the tentpole big moments for PR outside of funding announcements, right? And I think a lot of times you'll see startups go a year or two without getting any major coverage and then they get a new round of funding and everyone's very excited about them again. So I definitely think the big push around product launches is something that we're thinking about and thinking whether it takes a different form. And obviously with COVID and everyone working from home, I think that speaking platforms will change too. And we'll have to think about what the future of events and trade shows and everything looks like. Mm -hmm. And that kind of leads into my next question about 2020. It's been what's called the year of the pivot for PR people. It's also work from home. And do you think PR people should update their customer profiles to now add 
work from home workers now because I'm seeing like Microsoft, Google, all of them working from home permanently. So do you think PR people need to start updating their profiles to be like, okay, what is the modern worker after 2020? To be honest, I would say no, actually. I think that the work from home demographic is going to be so large, or or at least you'll have so many people that work from home part of the time that I don't think it's actually going to be that helpful to think about it that way. I think um, maybe if you're selling desk furniture or you're Uber Eats or, or Postmates or something, then, then sure. But no, I think we should just realize that that's part of the new normal and that people will have... The future of work includes working from home, but I don't think it defines a new demographic. All right. And what message would you do differently or what would differ from this year to 2021 with people working from home? Would it be a little bit of a tweak or would it be somewhat similar to what it is now? Yeah, I think we're already moving beyond the ways that the pandemic and working from home has changed work. and. For us, at least, we're starting to talk about the impending recession and economic recovery, and certainly that suits our business well, so that's part of it. But I think we can talk about how automation fits into the future of work, and can we implement automation in a way that doesn't take away half of our jobs? We can, I believe, but we need to be thoughtful about it. Can we work less? Can we automate the most painful parts of our work process? When people are working from home, I think they'll jump at the notion of I am still working hard, but I don't need to waste time chasing people down. Let's automate the worst parts of my job and I can play with my kid for a couple minutes here and there. So yeah, we're, we're looking more into the, what does the future of work mean regarding economic recovery in the recession? Mm. And kind of transitioning a little bit over to more employee engagement mm-hmm. has actually changed and internal communication has changed a little bit because like I said, not everybody's working in the office anymore. So how can your program or even some strategies help with getting more employee engagement? Yeah, I think people, regardless of what the process is, I think people want to be kept in the loop, right? If they're working from home, they want to work the ways that they want to work. They don't want to learn a new tool per se, right? So here's an example. Let's say you're working on the HR team. Right. Or maybe you're on a PR and comms team, but you're involved with internal employee engagement, right? You might say, hey, we're going to add this new internal website, a new tool that's designed to keep our employees more engaged. And you just tell everyone, hey, sign up for this new internal site and we'll all have our conversations there. And you'll get your updates about what's new in the office or what you need to know for holidays and things like that. I just think, frankly, that'll never work. (laughs) regardless of how well-designed the site is. So you've got to design something that's going to come to them. Like I said, automate some of the processes and go to them in Slack or Microsoft Teams, right? Like maybe for others, it's still email. But I think it's up to individual people to kind of choose the processes that work for them, the, the ways that they work. And it's up to the people building software and the people building processes to say, okay, we need to come to you. We can't ask you to join this new microsite, even if it's something that's going to benefit you. Uh, you know, We have to work the ways that you work. So basically what I'm hearing is that doing a hybrid, maybe some people want to do email only. So you do like an internal email campaign or you add like a 
new channel to Slack so they know everything that's going on in a specific way. That's would be going to them basically is what I'm hearing. Exactly. We've at Tonkin, we've created a channel for operations people, right? And we started actually by creating a website. It's called Adaptive Ops, which is just a, a place that people in the operations community can come together. But what we discovered pretty quickly within a couple months is like, well, people are not going to manually log onto a website, even if it's there's really great conversations there. But they might, when they're already spending most of their day in Slack, they might see it out of the corner of their eye and be like, okay, I'm going to see what people are talking about over there. So yeah, I think with regard to employee engagement and internal communications, it's all going to be about sticking with a, a small amount of platforms that people already love. Mm-hmm. And you think it's going to start changing in 2021 as well? Are we going to have like more internal specific podcasts? We're going to have more internal live streams specifically to for employees only. Is it going to change from what has happened this year to next year and beyond? Yeah. You know, I think even as we come back into offices, which I think people will, for the most part, start to trickle back into the office and there'll be more appreciation for the remote experience and people will uh, spend larger percentage of their time remote. But I think there'll be more, like I said, appreciation for that remote employee and remote experience. There will be happy hours and game experiences for remote people. And for example, we have a meeting that's scheduled on Friday is at 11 a.m. that has no agenda. It's just a weekly standing meeting for everyone to get to know each other on the team. Just middle of the day, let's talk about how we're doing and what's going on in the world. So I think a simulation of that lunch table experience will happen. The elements that we sometimes miss from being in person will be more easily replicated remotely. And I think we'll have more of an appreciation for that. And what have you learned in 2020? Yeah. As a new father, I would say almost everything I've learned has been around that. It's a crazy time to be doing both parenting and this crazy world of working remotely and and not getting to have those face-to-face interactions with people. But in a sense, it's kind of a blessing because we get to spend more time um, with our daughter. I would say, as a direct answer to your question, what I've learned, I would say I've learned that I'm a little more introverted than I, I thought I was. But I also really cherish the like friendships that I had. And I've, I've made it a point to be the one, you know, scheduling calls with groups of friends and old coworkers. And I know we all have nothing to do now. <laughs> uh, there's not events we're going to. So, but I, I just still make an effort to connect with people as much as possible. Mm. And fun question for you. What killer feature would you like to see for MarTech apps? Like many people in PR and marketing, I, I think we've yet to really figure out attribution in a meaningful way that can be trusted. Like I'd like to see some magical service out there that could reliably tell you, oh, this article that mentioned you in the Atlantic had 3,267 reads, not just the whole site doing impression numbers there. There's some people that are doing interesting work there. AirPR, or I guess they're called Onclusive now, is, is doing some of that attribution. But I still think there's a long way to go before we can reliably say, like, this is the value of PR because this is how many eyeballs you got on an article that's not living on your own site, but is living um, externally. So a lot of people are working on that, I know, but I still think we haven't found the holy grail of that yet. I think we will. Mm, so more like um, same thing as return on investment as well. Like 
your attributions, look at what we're actually doing type of a thing. Look how many people are reading this, actually reading this, not impressions. <laughs> yeah, it's not a surprise to any people who have been in PR for a while that impression numbers or just like the attribution of how many people were driven to your website is is all estimates and guessing games to a degree. So, But I think we have the ability to get closer to realizing that and, and finding that ROI. And any final thoughts for our listeners? No, this was a great conversation. I guess I mentioned the fact that we are throwing a virtual hackathon in December. And so if you know any cool nonprofits out there who need operational or technical assistance, come check us out. We're doing a, a hackathon called Changemakers. They'll be in early December. But um, no, beyond that, it was a really great conversation. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Frank, for joining PR360. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks. And thank you for listening to PR360 as well. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon, and leave a review. It always helps, and it helps us get this show even better. But join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe, have fun, and talk to more friends like Frank has done. All right, guys, later.